Welcome to Business Radio X and to our program, Justice at Work, where we empower employees through education and information about workplace rights. On today's show, we're going to discuss race discrimination in the workplace, and we're also going to touch on how the nationwide conversation about racism is affecting the workplace for both employers and employees. Our guest today is Todd Stanton, Managing Attorney at Stan Law, which is an employment defense firm dedicated to employers. So Todd will bring the employer perspective to today's conversation. Amanda Farahani is also with us. She is managing partner at Barrett and Farahani, which is dedicated to representing only employees. So Amanda will bring the employee perspective to the table today. I'm Kathy Harrington Sullivan. I'm also a partner at Barrett and Farahani, and I'm gonna act as moderator for today's show. So Amanda, as a baseline, let's just first establish what is race discrimination? Let's just talk about first what that is, and then we'll go from there. Oh, race discrimination is discrimination based on somebody's race, and that that is a legal term often more than it is even a cultural term. And so race can include everything from what we consider white, black, purple, pink, right, on to race as it relates to sometimes the way places that people have come from, as well as their religion. So for example, Jewish is considered a race. Um, race discrimination against Jewish people is illegal, just like it is against black people, as well as it is against white people. So you can be discriminated against no matter what race you are. It's not, it's not something that is only against a certain race. It, it's any race. If it's about the color of your skin or where you're from, which would, I guess, be more like national origin discrimination or what your religion is. Yeah, so it can be any race at all, and the courts have decided that there are some religions and some national origins that are vis-a-vis race as well. So if I'm an employee and I feel I'm at work and I feel like I'm being discriminated against at work because of the color of my skin, what should I do? Well, if you believe that you've been discriminated against, the first thing is to start documenting it. Make sure that you at some point raise that discrimination with the company. And if the company hasn't taken the appropriate measures, reach out to an attorney and and talk about what your rights are and what the right things are to do going forward. And Todd, if I'm on the employer side of this, what do I do with this information? What would a good employer do with information that an employee has come to them and they're feeling discriminated against? So when our clients call us after having received an internal complaint of discrimination, no matter how seemingly meritorious or how specious it, it seems to be, our advice is to take everything very seriously and to immediately investigate that, that allegation. And depending upon the gravity and what may be at stake or making some sort of threshold triage assessment of, of how serious it is, kind of commands the, the, the level of investigation. Do you need an outside resource? Is that outside resource a HR consultant or is it a third party uh, attorney? Uh, or is it something, if it's, uh, if it's something a little less purient, that we, we may be able to do it purely in-house? But in either event, most employers and clients I represent are going to condone invidious discrimination in the workplace, and they want to root it out if it's there. And so that investigation is twofold. Number one, it's, it's offensive in the sense that we need to, to find out whether we have bad actors in the workplace who are making decisions based upon protected characteristics and root them out for any number of reasons, not the least of which is illegal. The, the defensive part of that is that is our, our way of refuting the claim that if, it, uh, if there are reasons for an employment action or a, an employee's perception of race discrimination that don't deal with 
race or sex or gender or religious or any other type of discrimination, that we're able to marshal those facts and I would say convince the employee that there was something other than that. But in most cases, it's it's putting our the defense case together about what the real nature of the decision was that the employee perceives as discrimination. But getting to those facts from the employer's point of view is the first step there. As a, as a very tactical point, we need to reassure the employee that we appreciate their bringing it forward and that, uh, to let them know that we, we prohibit retaliation. And if they feel like they're being treated differently for having brought the claim, they need to let us know that too. But that's the, that's the first step from the employer point of view is that we've got to get those facts together and vet out and confirm or, or debunk the, the allegation in and of itself. Okay. Thanks, Todd, for that. And so just as an aside then, are there any steps that an employer should not take in response to receiving that kind of information? I mean, anything you'd advise them obviously yeah. not to do? Yeah, there's lots of them. Yeah, there's <laughs> lots of them that we should. Let's go over a few of those. Yeah, well, the first one is don't ignore it, right? I mean, we, you're, you've gotten an opportunity here to get to the bottom of this. No matter what the nature of the complaint is, from a purely pragmatic point of view, your best defense is going, an employer's best defense is going to be, we didn't do this, and here's what we looked at to make sure that we didn't do it, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's procedural as much as substantive. So that's one thing is don't ignore it. Um, and as a, I guess, a, an offshoot of that, don't tell the employee to go work it out themselves uh, would be another thing. Certainly don't take any adverse action against the employee for any reason, whether you think it's because the complaint is frivolous uh, or because it's inopportune or you don't like the person or anything else. Once, they, once an employee complains about uh, some sort of discrimination in the workplace, that in and of itself becomes another protected category. And adverse action against the employee who complains, uh, especially without looking into it, uh, is likely to, to cause more harm than it solves. Uh, so yeah, uh, you've got to look into it and certainly don't take adverse employment action against somebody who has just complained. Let's sort that out, look into it, and if it's a bad faith complaint, there may be remedies available, but those are few and far between. Don't ignore it and, and don't tell them to work it out. And don't fire And them. by bad faith complaint, you mean... Well, it's not, it shouldn't surprise anybody. And I don't, we have seen multiple occasions of where there's a poorly performing employee, an employee who believes that they're, they're on the block and who manufactures a, a complaint of, of any sort of discrimination, not just race, gender, or anything else, or harassment, uh, in order to generate that more of a protected category, believing that it insulates them from the impending termination or suspension or disciplinary actions. If that's the case, if it is truly a manufactured action, there's resources available. It's not going to surprise you or Amanda to know that we, we keep that one in our pocket. We very rarely recommend firing anybody for uh, who's been involved in protected activity right. simply because it's, it's, it's just trouble, right? There's another way to skin that cat that tends to be more effective. Taking that adverse employment action against somebody who's complained, whether it's in bad faith or not, it's going to be a problem. So Amanda, if I'm the employee and I report discrimination and they do take that adverse action against me, I'm fired or my hours or pay are cut, what do I do? What's my recourse? Well, it's pretty common that an employer doesn't contact Todd and find out, you know, what's the right things to do. Instead, they ignore it or instead of just trying to root it out, what they're doing is looking for 
how do they turn this against the employee, then they'll take an adverse action against the employee uh, or retaliate in some other way. Even if it's not an employment action, they'll start ignoring them or isolating them. In any of those situations, that is considered retaliation as long as the employee has made a complaint of discrimination. So in those circumstances, there's, there's several options. Um, one, the first thing we would recommend is that they go back to their employer, complain about the retaliation. But they can also reach out to the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, file a charge of discrimination there, or if they've been terminated, also reach out to an attorney about that because an attorney is going to want to help them to either get their job back or to recover their lost wages for that. There's the current nationwide conversation about racism um, in light of the events with police and the deaths at the hands of the police. And um, so there's this new conversation about racism that is, I think, a stronger conversation than it's ever been before, even though we in the business we're in, we know that racism exists. We deal with this every day with helping employers to avoid it and helping employees to report it and, um, and have a workplace that is free from that. And we're seeing, you know, the emails and the published statements from employers about racism and about what their part, what they want their part to be in combating that in society and the workplace. And I think we can all agree that's good. It's good for everybody to be part of a conversation about eliminating racism. But Todd, I'm going to ask you first, as, as an attorney who represents employers, what's your best advice to them if you're advising them about how to respond, maybe a statement or maybe even things beyond a statement? What are you telling employers what steps to take? I think my response may surprise you here. I am not advising that they do anything. I know that I'm on social media like everybody else, and I see large corporations putting out statements of support for traditionally oppressed groups uh, in favor of equality, those sorts of things. And I, while I recognize the, the moral compunction with which to do that, I go back and I say that if you're seeking moral advice from your attorney, you've got bigger problems than, <laughs> than I can help with them. Right? But I don't think that there's a legal obligation to do so, and I don't know if you're taking non-legal steps, such as issuing a statement like this, you are necessarily putting yourself out there and limiting your options later on. We can talk about whether that's good, we can talk about whether that's bad. My general advice is for my clients uh, who uh, by and large are making their, their efforts to comply with the law, let that be enough. Let your good record stand for itself and not put out a statement that can be seen by some as morally preening, others as not sufficient to, to address the gravity of the situation. I think that you, you, you risk doing more harm than good with a statement. I haven't seen one that I consider perfect, and I'm not, I'm not prepared to try and draft one that's perfect. It's not a legal issue to me, it's a PR issue. And I'm saying that unless you go and get your PR folks to draft it, and make economic decisions about it. Keep your keep your mouth shut. Amanda, what do you think? Well, I agree that there's no legal obligation to come out and say that you are against racism. Although there is a legal obligation to make sure that there is not racism in the workplace, and that if you know about it, that it, you have ferreted it out and and taken care of it. So, you know, I commend those that are coming forward. I applaud their efforts. Um, I don't think that um, perfection should be the enemy of good. And, and so I think it's a good thing that people are coming forward. I do see that there can be some issues beyond the statements. And 
if employers are then taking it upon themselves to instruct their individual employees to you know, go talk to people of a different race and have a conversation about racism, I think that's a different thing than bringing everybody together, having conversations around it as a group and not isolating certain individuals or certain races in these conversations. So this is what we do at Bear and Farahani is, is try to make the world a more equal place. So I would never want to, to hold them to a standard that, that we wouldn't want to, to do. Right. And we wouldn't legally sue somebody because of the statement that they made. Because again, I agree, it's a PR, not a legal issue. So you talked about employers going beyond the statement. I know I, we've heard that em, employers are doing diversity training, you know, led by mm-hmm. HR. I think we all agree that's probably in best. A good thing. That's yes. a good thing. I would agree with um, that. Yes. But yeah, you mentioned, you know, targeting certain employees to have conversations with employees of color about how they're feeling about racism or about the current climate. That's not okay, right? Because that, that's just another form of targeting a group of employees because of the color of their skin, which I think we all agree invites trouble. Well, I would back up from that just a little bit. You know, representing employers, I try and as best I can, these are very personal issues, and I try to back that out of the personal and just get back to work. And the more that we are having large cultural or society conversations in the workplace, whether that's about race relations, whether that's about abortion, or whether it's about the Braves, I don't see how that furthers the bottom line of our clients. And I don't mean to be detached. I don't mean to be unrealistic about this, that it's not going to, that it's going to go on. I'm just suggesting that by encouraging these sorts of conversations in a workplace, in my experience, going to decrease the productivity about why people are there. That's a decision that businesses can make about what their values are, but on top of whether it's illegal and whether or not it's going to generate more claims or fewer claims, it's, it's necessarily going to take away from the, the, the work that's going to be done that afternoon. If people are trying to discuss whether race relations are getting better or worse, they're not issuing the reports or the, or the spreadsheets or the sending the emails that the boss is asking them to send. Yeah, I think it's different than the Braves or abortion. The Braves aren't going to impact your day-to-day work or your livelihood. I mean, it shouldn't. <laughs> and, you know, of course, it doesn't really. But when we're talking about race relations, that is something that is part of the workforce. And one of the problems with systemic discrimination is how it is affecting people at work, in their livelihoods, in their pay. And so to ignore it in the workplace, I think it's complicity, right? The silence is complicity. So I do think that there needs to be some steps around it. But you know, not to the point where it's distracting from the workplace. At the same time, silence is also distracting in a workplace, particularly if you've got a workplace that has that type of disparity already there. Because your workers are looking around and seeing there isn't diversity here, there isn't leadership doesn't have diversity, whatever it might be. And in those situations, I think the company confronted that, talking about that and talking about how they recognize that and are looking to, to make changes to that as, as a good thing. And with regard to changes, 
I think when we talked last week, we talked about just in an informal conversation, we talked about things that might be okay for companies to do and might not be okay to try to make it more comfortable for people. Targeted conversations, no, probably not, right? Company events or activities or even workspaces that are set aside for only one color of people. I mean, I think that goes along with the conversations. You're, you're discriminating in a different way, but what are some things companies might do to bring people together that's not going to be a forced conversation about racism to somebody who may not feel discriminated against or setting aside an area for a certain group of employees of a certain color. What are things that employers might want to think about doing to bring people together, not to have continued conversations about how people aren't coming together? I've had several conversations with my black friends about what my firm's response to this should be. And you can imagine there's various uh, takes on it. But one of the themes that we've, we've come together with uh, that I've heard over and over again is this rather self-segregating nature of our, of our society. We go to different churches, we go to different clubs, we uh, live in different areas of town. And increasing the exposure, I think, builds the bonds better than anything else. And I'm, I'm reluctant to say that or encourage team building exercises, trust falls and those sorts of things. One of the, one of the things that we have, have started doing is volunteering together and doing so with a group, a charity that is designed to, to help perhaps an under, underrepresented or underserved population, be that Boys and Girls Club, be that, which is my particular charity, or Big Brothers Big Sisters, Hosea Help Feed the Hungry, places like that where you're going to increase exposure to different groups that, you, that uh, people might not have exposure traditionally to, and doing it together as a workforce, I think that that's a rather uh, ingenious and, and, and multifaceted way to increase that exposure and gain some familiarity with something you might not, you might have held in contempt with before. Amanda, can you think of some things that we can advise employees to do to help better the situation and not you know, create more of a divide? You know, again, it comes to not having that divide and seeing and treating everybody equally. So I think the more that we isolate or segregate or you know, identify certain races to do certain things, like you said, sitting in different places or different areas, the worse it's going to be. But I think the important thing is, is not to be putting that burden on the employees themselves, but finding people who have an expertise to be able to address some of these issues. And a lot of these issues are, are deep embedded issues. I mean, implicit bias and stereotypes are, are not what you know, we as a common uneducated in that way person can deal with. So employees should be looking for expertise, maybe people to bring in that they can suggest to the employer that can help either facilitate conversations or come up with programs or processes that are going to help. But I think on the other hand, telling workers that they can't talk about this at work um, and employees not being able to talk about it is also going to be a problem. So there needs to at least be the ability to have that open conversation. And as an employee, how should I interpret the action or non-action of my employee? employer because we are getting a few calls about that you know I think my employer should donate to this cause or I think my employer should take this initiative what would you tell employees about what to expect from their employers and and what not to expect I guess well I think it's 
fine for you to go to your employer and make recommendations of what you think that employer should do. But you know, starting back at the beginning of what Todd said, this isn't really a legal issue until it gets into a problem area. So there's not any law that requires an employer to donate money um, to any cause or to more than one cause. So there's that's really a preference that's for the employee to talk with their management about, and it's not a legal issue that we could give them advice on. You know, on the other hand, if they're taking certain measures like giving money to white supremacy, for example, I think you could have an argument there that there's a problem and you know, the difference between giving money between Black Lives Matter, but also supporting the cops or something like that. I, I don't think you're going to get into any kind of area where a lawyer can help that employee. This is probably more of an editorial comment than it is from my position as a, as a lawyer or the head of a firm, but the silence as action is a difficult pill for me to swallow, right? Um, by not supporting something doesn't mean that I affirm the opposite. And in that box, simply because uh, an employee has a perspective that their cause is, is more worthy than another, um, is, a, is a dangerous place to be. I don't expect my employees to buy a Christmas tree lot or a Christmas tree from the Christmas tree lot I sponsor. And I don't think that because they don't somehow that they're, they're anti-Christmas. Mm -hmm. And any more than if, if an employee were to ask me to donate to Black Lives Matter that I don't, it doesn't mean somehow that I, I don't favor aspects of their cause. Um, so that silence is, silence is action is, is a difficult pill for me to swallow. But I think that what I heard coming out of Amanda's uh, uh, statement is, look, we got to foster a healthy workplace and that's going to have some communication back and forth and it's going to take an open mind on both sides of it. And I want the employees of Stanton Law, whether we were making widgets or painting houses or doing legal services, I want them to find this to be a good good and, and, and fulfilling place to work. And if I can figure out ways to do that, whether it be volunteering or donations or whatever it is for their causes, I'm going to do that. But I need to know what it is they need from me. I would encourage that open line of communication back and forth, but doing so in a respectful way. One other piece I wanted to touch on is, you know, I know there are a lot of well-intentioned employers out there. And if I'm an employer and I'm going a step too far, but I have good intentions, like I want everybody to feel comfortable, I'm just going about it in the wrong way. Does that help me at all that I've got good intentions and I want everybody to be comfortable? Does that buy me anything as an employer? From a legal standpoint, no. Right? I mean, we, we've had the same conversations over and over again, this notion of encouraging folks to discuss race issues or, or singling out uh, a white person to have a conversation about race with a, a black employee. That's going to be a, that's tough, even though the intentions may be good. And it's the same thing as I need the old people to stay home because of COVID, right? We've been referring to as benevolent discrimination. I don't want the pregnant lady working around those chemicals. Those are all probably good intentions, but they're, they're making distinctions based upon protected characteristics. But from a legal standpoint, that's not going to get you where you need to go from a defense standpoint. And if I'm that employee, Amanda, and I, they're coming to me to have these conversations, I haven't filed a complaint. I don't feel discriminated against. I'm cool. I'm just doing my work. And now your, your forced conversation is making me uncomfortable. What do I do? Do I go to HR? I'm protected, right? Yes. And so if you're being discriminated against because of your race, you're being singled out because of your race, whatever that race may be, then you are protected. And if you feel like you need to oppose what's happening or you don't want to participate in what's going on, then you can make that complaint to HR and be protected in it. 
And there are people who are applying stereotypes to a particular situation and based on that stereotype, making a decision. And, you know, when we're dealing with COVID, just because you're old probably means you're unhealthy and therefore, you know, we're going to treat you different or we're not going to bring older workers back. And it's the same in saying, you know, you as a white person need to go talk to somebody of a different race and have a conversation about race. And, you know, we're not in the workplace equipped to do that. Individuals haven't been trained in how to do that. You, you don't know when you're talking to one white person, whether they're going to go have a conversation about race that you would want them to be having. So that's, that's fraught with all sorts of, of problems, even though the intent behind it is probably good, which is that they're trying to address what's happening in the workplace. There's just better ways to go about it. I would agree with that. And I would say that to the employee, if they, if, if an employee feels uncomfortable with a particular policy or whatever it is, but understands it might be coming from a, a better place than white supremacy, right? To lean into that a little bit, right? I mean, the, the impact of a particular policy is often different than the intention of the policy. Clarifying the intention might be able to, to lessen the impact or, or to completely change or obviate the impact. And so I think we go back to that where you have a well-intentioned employer who might just be mis, misguided or a little misdirected with respect to what, what it is they're implementing. I think there's opportunity there to channel that into a better place without it becoming a, a legal issue, right? Very rarely do lawyers make situations easier or less complicated. And so I, from an employer employee standpoint, uh, I'm certainly not saying that they should not get counsel. What I'm saying is that before we make this a, a legal issue, see if we can keep it as a, a personal issue. Yeah, and that's what I'd want to say. I mean, if you've got an employer that's trying to do the right thing, but is messing it up, the goal there would be to, to get them doing it the right way, as opposed to, you know, hurting them because of that, as long as they haven't also hurt the employee, right? If they turned around and fired the employer, not letting them come back to work under COVID, and they're at a financial loss, that's a different thing than saying, you know, this isn't the right way to, to go about these conversations in the workplace. Let's work together to find a way to actually handle this in a way that works for everybody. I 100% agree. I think it continues to come back to fair-minded adult conversation in these issues. And maybe we get to the point where we have to prefer clarity over agreement. We don't have to solve all these problems, but we at least have to understand where we're coming from in order to get to where we're going. Isn't it surprising how often we agree, Todd? It is. <laughs> I, I, always, I always come into these conversations hoping I'm going to get to prove how right I am, but very rarely it manifests. So, you know, I mean, our goal is the same, right? Our goal is to create a workplace that is better for everybody and to keep our, our people out of litigation as much as possible so that people are being treated fairly. I mean, my goal is to put myself out of work one day. Here, here. <laughs> All right. To tie that off one at one point, I, I really do believe that this is an area of agreement for us, but both sides, when we're involved, when it's when it's Stanton Law v. Barahani, it is extracting what it becomes a very personal disagreement, right? I mean, the person who feels like they are aggrieved because of a protected characteristic and the person who, and the, and the employer, the person who is accused of that discrimination Feelings get hurt and temperatures rise very quickly. And I consider one of my firmest obligations and first obligations is to detach it from the person, 
right? And let's try and look at what the, the ultimate problem here is and start looking at things that we can agree on, putting the disagreements for later. There's plenty of times for that. Can we come up with a solution to what's going on first? And if we ultimately have to argue, if we ultimately have to fight, if we ultimately have to get into our own corners, then we will. But that has to be the last resort. And one of the ways that we do that is by recognizing it's personal, but then trying to objectify it as quickly as we can to get the get a, a better perspective. Yeah, I, I laugh that the attorney and counselor at law part um, is true, that we spend a lot of our time seeing counselors um, and not necessarily legal counselors, but, but really helping people with the emotional aspect. Because it is. I mean, you're talking about some pretty egregious types of accusations usually on both sides, right? One is you're a terrible employee and the other is that you are a racist. And, you know, if one or the other isn't true, then it becomes more personal. And even if it is true, it's very personal. So yes, we have very emotional clients and our goal is first to say, okay, let's, let's see how we can solve a problem. And your problem right now is X, Y, Z. You're out of work. You need income. You know, you need a bridge to get from now until your next place. So let's look at solving that problem as opposed to solving the world. Well, I think this has been a very good conversation. I hope this has been helpful information to both employers and employees. I want to very much thank Todd Stanton for joining us to have this conversation. And thank you, Amanda, for, for helping to facilitate that conversation. We look forward to our next Radio X broadcast. Stay tuned to see what that will be contact Todd if you're an employer and you've got questions you need answers for and contact Barrett and Farahani if you're an employee and you need help at work. Mm -hmm.